It's certainly good to see everybody here today. And as Sean mentioned earlier, happy Father's Day to all you fathers here today. As you can see on the screen, we are going to be talking about fathers this morning. So if you would, grab a Bible and turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. We're going to take our text from Ephesians, the fifth chapter this morning. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, we'll start reading in the 20th verse and read on into the sixth chapter through the fourth verse. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and this is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause... Shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh? This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. April the 10th, 2014. Early that morning, Angela and I left our home, and we headed to Presbyterian Hospital in Dallas. I suppose during our lives, there are numerous moments and events that change the course of our lives and and have a profound impact on our lives. And for me, that day was definitely one of those. We drove down from Mesquite to, to Dallas where the hospital was at. We arrived at the hospital. We got checked in. Eventually, Angela and I were taken back to a delivery-slash-operating room. And at 7.37 a.m., John Robert McFadden was officially born. And at that moment, my life changed. For the very first time in my entire life, I laid my eyes on someone that I shared DNA with that I was biologically related to. For those of you who don't know, I was adopted. And so I had never met anyone, as far as I knew, uh, 
that I was biologically related to. So when I laid eyes on John, it was a very special and and very thought-provoking moment. But even more than that, it was a life-changing, it was a uh, life-altering, thought-provoking moment because at that point, I was now a father. For months, ever since we found out that Angela was pregnant, I had spent a lot of time thinking about and, and, and studying about and praying about being a father. And now, at that point, April 10th, 2014, it was time for me to fully take on that role. And it has been just over eight years since that day. And I can honestly say that being a father is one of the greatest blessings of my life. And I am so thankful that I have been given the honor and the privilege to be John and Luke's father. Every day I thank God that I have been given that responsibility. And one of the things that I thought about a lot before John was born, and I continue to think a lot about, is that I don't want to be just a dad or just a father. There are millions and millions of men in this world that have impregnated women and from a biological or or legal standpoint are fathers. Yet they are nowhere to be found in the lives of their children. There are millions and millions of men who live in the same home as a child that are biologically related to that child. They may even spend time with the kids, and from the world's perspective of what a father is, they might be a good dad. But that isn't what I want to be, and that isn't what John and Luke need. You see, John and Luke don't just need a father. They don't just need a dad. They need a godly father. They need someone who's going to be a father for them, not according to the world's standards of what a dad should be or what a dad should look like. They need a father that is going to be a dad from God's perspective. And we have this morning here in this audience many good, godly fathers. For some of you, you are just now getting started as a dad. Some of you are in the middle of raising kids, and some of you are now in the middle of having grandkids. And for all of you, we thank you for your desire to be godly fathers. There is no more important job that you will ever have than being a godly father. But the fact of the matter is, none of us are perfect. None of us have been flawless in the way that we've raised our children and interacted with our kids. I certainly haven't been the perfect father. Sean hasn't been a perfect father. Brad, Brent, none of us have been perfect fathers. Yet God has given us his word, and in it we can find what it means to be a godly father. 
So for the rest of our time here this morning, I want for us to notice five characteristics of godly fathers. Five things that godly fathers do. And I hope, before we get into this this morning, I hope that those of you who are not fathers, I, I hope that you don't think, well, he's talking about dads, that's not me. That's never going to be me. I'm never going to be a dad, so I'm going to tune Jeff out this morning. I hope that those of you who are not fathers yet strive to incorporate these things into your lives and prepare yourself one day to be a godly father. For those of you who are fathers, listen this morning and and make sure that you have these characteristics or you're doing these things in your homes. And for you women here this morning, especially you younger women, those of you who are dating or teenage college age girls, you need to make sure as you are preparing for the next stages in your life that you are looking for men that can do these sorts of things, that can be a father, that can be a godly father for your future children. So this morning, we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at five characteristics or five things that a godly father does. The first characteristic of a godly father, the first thing that I want for us to notice that he does is that he leads. So many of the problems that we see in in homes and in society at large is a result of men who are not willing to lead their homes in a godly way. For too many, they aren't even present in the home. And no one can be a leader in a home if they are not there. But also, too many men are not willing to be leaders in their homes, even if they are there. They have abdicated their responsibilities of leadership to someone else in the home. For some, they have abdicated that leadership responsibility to the wife, and the wife is the head of the house. For others, and this might sound odd, but for some homes, the leaders in the homes for all intents and purposes are the children. The children decide what's going to happen and what they're going to do and and how that house is going to be run in a lot of ways. And the children have become the heads of those houses. And if that is the situation in your home, your house is headed in a direction that is against God's will. And I'm going to say something that might come across as harsh, but I think it's something that many men need to hear. Men, you need to do your job. Quit shrinking from your responsibilities as a man and act as you should as a father and as a leader. Quit being a coward and lead your home. Do your job and act like the man that God has called you to be. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13 says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. And I, and more importantly, God's Word is calling you, all of you men here today, to act and conduct yourselves like the men you are called to be, and be the leaders in your homes that you are called to be. In the passage that we opened with, Paul said the husband is the head of the wife. The wife and the children should be in subjection to their husbands. 
So I guess that means that all of us men now can sit back and rule our, our homes, right? Like we're a dictator ruling over our subjects, right? We can kick our feet up, start barking out orders, and knock anyone that gets out of line right back into line, right? Read again that verse, and read specifically the second part of the verse when Paul says that husbands should be the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. Paul says that a man's leadership in the home is not the role of a dictator ruling over his subordinates. Rather, our leadership as men and as fathers should be modeled after Christ's leadership of the church. And of course, we we could, and, and at some point should, give entire lessons about what Christ's leadership of the church looked like, and we don't have time to do that this morning. But the best way, I I think, to summarize the leadership style of Jesus is to look at Philippians, the second chapter, verses 5 through 11. When it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. It was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was a servant leader. He laid down his life in service to those who he was to lead. And our role as husbands and fathers should be that of a servant leader in our home. And for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to talk about three or four more things. And all of these are, are sort of interrelated, interconnected in a lot of ways. But all of these things are components of, of being a servant leader in your home. But just as Christ is head of the church, we men must be leaders and we must be the heads of our home. And part of that leadership, specifically part of servant leadership, is the second thing that I want for us to notice as a characteristic of a godly father, and that is a godly father provides. Men and fathers, it is your job, your responsibility to make sure that your family is provided for. 1 Timothy, the 5th chapter and the 8th verse says, But if anyone provide not for his own and specifically for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Paul says that if a man doesn't provide for himself and his family, he is worse than an unbeliever and he has denied the faith. And for some, this is another one of those things that may be hard to hear. It may be one of those things that makes you uncomfortable. But it is not the government's job to provide for you and your family. Approximately 20% of the U.S. population is on some sort of government assistance or welfare. And for some, that may be warranted. But for far too many... They have decided that they don't need to work. They don't need to provide for their families. There's someone else they can do it for them. So why would they go out and get a job? Why would they work when someone else can pay for them? And men, if that is you, 
and you are able to work, and you have just decided, you know what, I'm I'm not going to work, I don't need to work, I don't want to work, if you aren't going to provide for yourself and provide for your family, God says that you have denied the faith, and you are worse than an infidel. And I didn't say that. God's Word did. Okay? If you are grown, it isn't your mom and dad's responsibility to pay your bills. It isn't your friend's responsibility. It is your job to provide for your family. And that's not to say from time to time that we don't need and can't use a little help. Things happen from time to time. Tragedies happen. Loss of jobs. Medical things come up. Unforeseen circumstances. All those things come up. And in those cases, we should be willing to accept help. And we should be willing to offer if we're in a position to offer help. In those situations, that's different. That's a temporary thing. But it is our responsibility as men, as head of our houses, as fathers, to provide the necessities of this life for our families. And notice what I just said. I said the necessities of life. I didn't say the luxuries of life. It isn't required of us to provide the luxuries of this life. It's great if we can. We've all been blessed with so much in this life, and if, if God has blessed us with the, with the opportunity and the capability to provide these, the, the luxuries of life, great. But having the big house or having the fancy vacation or having the nice cars, it isn't our responsibility to provide those things for our family. Notice what God said about what he provides. When in Philippians, the fourth chapter in the 19th verse, it says, But my God shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We're told that God will supply all of our needs, not all of our wants, not all of our wishes, not all of our, not all of our luxuries, but God will provide all of our needs. And far too many fathers sometimes swing the other way from not providing at all to trying to provide all the luxuries of life. And they spend their, their time, they sacrifice their time, and ultimately they sacrifice their families trying to provide the luxuries of this life. They try to provide the nice things or send their kids to the nice schools or to go on all the fancy vacations because, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Jones down the street are doing it and my kid wants all that stuff, so you know what, I need to work all those extra hours, I need to climb the corporate ladder, I need to do all of those things. And they end up neglecting their other responsibilities in this life. We aren't responsible or required to provide the luxuries of life. But it is our responsibilities as godly fathers, to provide for the physical necessities and the physical needs of our families. But our need to provide extends beyond just the necessities of this, the physical necessities of this life. A godly father provides something more than just the roof over his family's head and the shoes on their feet and food on the table. A godly father will provide also for their spiritual needs. The third thing that a godly father does is he teaches. We can provide all of the physical necessities of life. We can provide even the luxuries of life. But if we fail to provide for the physical necessities or spiritual necessities, we aren't doing our jobs as fathers. 
Mark the 8th chapter, verses 34 through 37 says, And when he had called the people unto him with the disciples, and he said unto him, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul? And as a father, we must be concerned with not just our own spiritual well-being, but also the spiritual well-being of those that God has given us the responsibility to parent. What does it profit if you gain the whole world, provide all the luxuries of this life, provide everything that your family wants and thinks that they need, but you don't provide them with the opportunity to have a relationship with God? What does it matter if they have all the best toys, attend the best schools, have all the advantages of this life? What does it matter if our kids are good softball players or baseball players or cheerleaders or band members? What does it matter if they don't have a relationship with God? As fathers, we must make sure that we are teaching and that we are guiding our children. Proverbs, the 22nd chapter and the 6th verse says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Deuteronomy, the 6th chapter, or Ephesians, the 6th the chapter and the 4th verse, talks about bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In Deuteronomy, the 6th chapter, verses 6 through 7, the writer in Deuteronomy talks about speaking with your children as you go, as you lie down, taking all these different opportunities to teach and to speak to them about God and what He's done for them. And this doesn't just begin when they're teenagers or when they're getting older. Children from a very young age can read and be taught God's Word. And they soak it up like sponges. If you haven't noticed already, kids soak things up, and you should be surprised if you don't take time to notice how quickly they learn and how quickly they they learn things, how quickly they soak things up. Take time to intentionally read and study with them. But also take other opportunities to talk about God with them. When you're driving down the road and and after a rainstorm, you see a rainbow in the cloud. Teach the children about the story of of Noah and the flood. If you're out in nature and you see the mountains or things like that, take those opportunities to talk to your kids about God and His power and, and, and all that He has created and all He's done for us. Talk to them about Jesus and what He did on the cross. Kids learn at a very young age and soak those things up. Don't pawn off the responsibility of teaching God's Word to your children to someone else. It is your job as a father to make sure that your children are being taught God's will. Part of that relationship with God and part of your responsibility, not the entirety, but a portion of of the teaching that your children should be exposed to is here at the worship service. Dads, you need to be making sure that you are showing your children the importance and the value of the worship service. That means that you should have your children here every chance that you get. The worship service is more important than their soccer game or their baseball game. 
the worship service is more important than their homework. It's more important than studying for that test. The worship service is more important than the party or the activity that they have planned with their friends. Dads, it's your responsibility, it's your duty to take the attitude of Joshua when he said, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You need to stand up for your family and make the decision that your house is going to prioritize and serve the Lord. And you need to teach them and bring them to the worship service where that teaching can be supplemented by the congregation here. But I want for us as fathers to remember one more thing. Our teaching isn't just confined to the words that we speak. Our teaching must not be confined to the two or three hours a week that we spend here in the worship service. Our teaching must also be done through the life that we live in the example that we provide for our children. Our kids are not always going to hear the words we say. They might not always listen to the, to the speeches that I give to them. But they will always, always see the life that we live, the choices that we make, and the example that we give them. And we need to think long and hard about if the life we're living is contradicting what we are trying to teach them. There's nothing more ridiculous and wrong and sinful than the old saying of do as I say and not as I do. If that is what you are doing and what you are saying and what you are teaching your children, you are failing as a father. Romans, the second chapter, verses 21 through 24 says, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? If thou preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, that through breaking the law dishonorest thou God. For the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles through you. Paul says that you shouldn't be saying one thing, teaching one thing, but doing another. Your life must reflect the teaching that you are giving. Give your children a godly example to follow. Teach your children. Teach them through the words that you speak. Teach them by bringing them to the worship service. Teach them by the example in the life that you live. And if we are going to teach our children as godly fathers, we will do the fourth thing that I want for us to notice that godly fathers will do. And that is we will discipline our children. And again, this is one of those things that might not be popular, might not fit into the world's standards of what it means to be a father. But if we are going to be godly fathers, we will discipline our children. 
The world's going to say, you know what, we need to let our kids make their own decisions. We need to let them express themselves. We need to let them make their own choices. We, we may need to suggest to them, you know, what, what they might ought to think about or what they might ought to do. But we need to let them make their own decisions. We shouldn't discipline. That will ruin their self-esteem. It will stunt their development as, as free-thinking people. But God's Word says otherwise. Proverbs, the 13th chapter and the 24th verse says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, verses 13 through 14 says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. God's Word says that if you are going to fulfill your responsibilities as fathers and we're going to do our jobs, then we are going to apply godly discipline. Part of our responsibility to teach our children is that we are going to have to correct them. Children aren't going to just learn what is right and wrong on their own. They're going to learn what is right and wrong through the, li- through the words that we speak, through what we teach them, through the lives that we live. And at times, those children are going to go against what we say and what we expect for them to do. They're going to go against these expectations that we set for them. And they're going to go against what we say must be done. And in those times, it is our duty... It is our responsibility as godly fathers to discipline our children. And at times, that discipline should include corporal punishment. There are times that verbal correction is warranted. There are times that I think that removal of certain privileges may be warranted. But there are times that the godly thing to do is to administer corporal punishment. And look, I didn't say that. Again, this is one of those things that I didn't say. That's what God's Word says. It is important, it is vital that we follow God's plan for discipline. So I want for us to remember a couple of things. You know, we could beat our we could beat down our kids, either Verbally or physically, you know, we're bigger than, than our kids. You could, you could beat them into submission. But that isn't going to lead to godly submission, and, isn't, and it isn't going to teach them correctly. And that would be just as wrong and just as sinful as not disciplining them. There is a difference between abuse and discipline. So we need to remember a few things about godly discipline. First we need to remember to set proper expectations. We need to make sure that our children know what is expected of them before we apply discipline. If you've never told that child, don't go get a cookie out of the pantry before dinner, don't go and punish that child for going and getting a cookie. If you haven't told them, you haven't set the proper expectations. But once you have set that expectation and they go against that expectation, it's time to apply discipline. Second, 
we need to remember that godly discipline should be consistent and it should be fair. We must be consistent when applying discipline. If we set expectations that something is right or something is wrong, we can't turn a blind eye one day and then the next day get on to our kids for the same thing. That only leads to confusion in our kids. And we can't let one kid get away with one thing and then discipline another kid for another the, the husband and the wife, the man and the woman need to be on the same page. You can't have the mom letting, letting one thing go and the dad uh, getting on the kids for, for the same thing or vice versa. Mom and dad need to be on the same page about things. It needs to be consistent. And it also needs to be fair. We need to make sure that discipline is appropriate, that it's measured, that we're not going overboard or going under. We need to make sure that we use wise judgment and apply consistent and fair discipline. Third, it must never be done out of anger. We don't discipline our children because we're mad or because we lose our temper. That only leads to anger in the child. Ephesians 6 and verse 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Colossians 3 verses 20 through 21 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Fourth, we need to remember the purpose of discipline. Godly discipline is applied in order to teach children that there are consequences to disobedience and that they must respect authority. If a child is determined to head down a path that violates God's will, then it is our responsibility to correct them now so that later on in life they will understand that there are consequences to their decisions. It's our job to apply momentary pain now so that they will not experience eternal pain and eternal punishment later. Hebrews, the 12th chapter and the 11th verse says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And lastly, we need to make sure that our kids know why they are being disciplined. I mentioned a moment ago that kids need to understand what's expected of them, but I'm meaning something more here. Kids need to know that discipline is done when done correctly. It's done because we love them. We read earlier that whosoever spares the rod hates his son. If you aren't disciplining your child in a godly way, then you don't love them. Again, I didn't say that. God did. But if we are applying discipline in a godly way, then our children will understand that we're doing that because we, are, we love them and we want what is best for them. I try to never discipline John or Luke. I never discipline them without making sure that they know that I love them. I sit them down and I explain to them why they are being disciplined. And then after we're done, I make sure that they hug my neck, that I look them in the eyes and they tell me that, I, that they love me and I love them. I try to make sure always that they understand and know that they are loved and this is being done out of love. A godly father disciplines his children in a loving manner. And that leads us to the fifth and final thing that I want for us to notice that a godly father does, and that is he loves. 
A godly father will realize and remember that his children are a blessing from God. Psalms, the 127th chapter, starting in the third verse, says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. Too many people view children as a burden. Too many fathers view their children as a burden. You know, they're, they're, they're people that they have to pay for, that they got to pay child support for, they, that, that keeps them from doing what they want to do and takes all their time. And too many people view their kids not as the blessing of God that they are and instead view them as a weight around their neck or a, a burden that keeps them from doing what they want to do. We must, as godly fathers, always remember and make sure our children know that they are blessings from God. We must do all that we can to be good stewards of this gift that we have been given. We will do these things that we've we've been talking about this morning. We've read this a time or two where it says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We will lead them. We will protect them. We'll provide for them. We'll teach them. We'll discipline them. And we will love them. We will make the choice that we will serve them and we will provide for their best interest. We will sacrifice ourselves to make sure that their best interest is taken care of. And remember, our leadership, our roles as fathers and leaders of our homes should model Christ's leadership of the church. And that's what he did. He laid down his life in service to the people that he loved. And if we're going to love them, we're going to have a relationship with them. We have to take time to be around them. You can't have a relationship with someone that you don't spend time with. We'll develop that relationship. And all the things we've talked about this morning take time and they take effort. And we must be willing to to expend that time and that effort to teach and to discipline and to, to lead and to protect and to provide. All these things take time and effort. And if we aren't willing to take the time to develop that relationship and love our kids, then we are wasting our time. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, the first verse talks about how we could speak with the tongues of men and angels and, and, and all those sorts of things. And if we don't have love, it means nothing. So let's make sure that we're loving our children. Tell them that you love them. Give them hugs. Make sure that they know that they're loved and that they're cherished. Make sure that they know what you think of them, that they are a blessing from God. But also, let's make sure that we are loving their mothers also. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verses 28 through 29, talks about how men ought to love their wives as their own bodies, and we won't take time to read through that all again. But men... It is your responsibility, it's your duty to love your wife. And your children need to see that. Their ki- your kids need to see their fathers loving their mothers. If we want our sons to learn to respect women, we need to give the example of loving and cherishing our wives in the home. If we want our daughters to know what a godly husband looks like and what she should be looking for in a husband, we need to show them what that looks like in our homes. And we do that by loving our wives. And lastly, we need to love God. 
We've talked this morning about the necessity of teaching our children, providing for their spiritual needs. But these kids need to see that this is important in our own lives. They need to see that we love God, that our relationship with God is the most important relationship in our life. Let them see you pray. Let them see you study. Let them see you prioritize the worship service. Teach them about what God has done for you, how He has helped you and and blessed you and guided you and, and changed your life. Your kids need to see that that's important to you, that you love God. Show them what it means to be a child of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. A godly father will love his kids, and he'll love his wife, and he'll love God. We've talked this morning about these five characteristics of a godly father. A godly father leads... A godly father provides, a godly father teaches, a godly father disciplines, and a godly father loves. I pray that all of you fathers here this morning take these lessons, that you make sure that you're doing them in your home, that you're following what God's Word says for your home and for your role as a father. Perhaps you're struggling with some of these things and you like the prayers of the church for strength and for guidance. We'd be happy to do that this morning. Perhaps you've never submitted to your heavenly father. You've never obeyed His Word and submitted to Him in baptism, never become a member of the body of Christ, and you'd like to do that this morning. The water's ready, and we're here. We'd love to do that with you this morning. If there's anything we can do for you, please come as we stand and as we sing.